Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Sabbath School from Home podcast. So glad that you've chosen to spend this time with us. My name's Cameron. And I'm Luke. And I'm Lachlan. Uh, Now, Ken is not with us. Ken is uh, at present preparing for a holiday uh, with his family. That will involve him being away for some time. Uh, Unfortunately, this means for us that not only is he absent from this recording, but he'll be away for the next couple of episodes also. Uh, We'll miss him. Uh, but we look forward to him uh, joining our discussion again. Uh, we're going to divert a little bit from the path set by the lesson for these last two episodes, it being a slightly unusual quarter for the SDA. Quarterly is 14 weeks. And we're going to pick up on two ideas that I've marked uh, down to come back to. And uh, the first one came from you, Luke, actually, uh, after you... Um, uh, after one of our episodes, you made a comment which I think will keep us busy for this whole episode, and I might reserve the uh, one of Ken's comments to come back to for next for next episode. Uh, your comment, Luke, was uh, something to the effect of uh, there being a, a necessary distinction between the cultural elements and the fundamental elements um, in the way we express our faith, and uh, it led me down an interesting train of thought. And uh, what I want us to do for this episode is to put aside for a moment, the veracity of our doctrine on the state of the dead. Uh, Adventists are fairly particular about drawing boundaries and trying to determine what's right and wrong. Let's assume that what we is accepted by the church as right is indeed right, and we haven't really had any disagreements with it over the course of this uh, discussion. Uh, there are other things which are equally as right, but which we just don't talk about. So uh, I have not um, heard a sermon for a long time about stealing. It's fairly universally agreed that stealing is wrong and occasionally it comes up in a discussion in the context of the Ten Commandments or uh, some particular Bible passage, but it's certainly not something we dwell on. Uh, But the state of the dead is something we talk a lot about. We can't be talking about it because it's true, because there are other true things which we don't talk about. So what I want us to talk about in this um, episode is is why. Why do we talk about this doctrine, the state of the dead and what happens after we die and all of these questions? Why, why do we give this particular element so much airtime? And the follow-up question is, is that emphasis a necessary, intrinsic part of Christian life? Ought all Christians be concerned about the state of the dead? Or is this just a cultural element of our own, own expression? Uh, that's a fascinating question. And of course, right at the outset, even if we decide that it's more likely to be a cultural element oh, of our Christian expression, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's useless or that it's wrong. Um, it, no. But it does help us maintain a bit of context, perhaps. What's What's the history? The history behind it is, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, um, you know, the late 1800s saw a great rise in spiritualism. And I know that um, around the turn of the century, seances and mediums and spirits were, became a sort of a fashionable thing. I learned something fascinating about that just the other day. Uh, I'd never stopped to think about it like this. That period of of technology corresponded with the with broadly corresponded with the invention of wireless or of or of remote distance communication. Wire, wired, I suppose, um, mm. but but not involving a piece of paper being transported by by a messenger on horseback. Um, and the the invention of Morse code 
which of course is a useful code that you can tap messages out over a, over a very simple electronic interface, um, gave rise to a very wide... It's part of why the culture picked up on this idea. What if the, the spirits could communicate with, you know, noises tapping or stones moving or something like this? That idea became much more accessible to everyone's mind in the light of experiencing Morse code telegrams. I've just had, I've just had a revelation. The primary value of the Adventist belief in the state of the dead, I think, is actually in that this particular belief allows us to not really care about anything the dead have to say, because they can't say mm. anything because they did. It allows us to not be distracted by any of that stuff and focus on what uh, people do while they are alive. That's a useful insight. The, what you're suggesting is the doctrine is actually designed to take our focus away, away from, from what after happens. death and onto mm. before death. I, I reckon that yeah. is probably the original purpose of it, in as much as it has a purpose aside from being what we believe to be true. Yeah. But I think that is the value it provided to the Adventist movement because yeah. the Adventist movement originally was very social justice oriented and very focused on what people do in their life because after death there is nothing to do. Mm. Which makes yeah. it interesting how we now see in the Adventist church almost a perversion of that concept in that there is, I mean, we've just had an entire quarter of Sabbath school lessons talking about what happens after people die, as though that's important. The whole point of the belief is that it isn't. And our, yeah. our contention through many of these weeks has been that we actually agree with what the lesson is saying, but we find it a little bit unpalatable for it to be saying it in such a combative and argumentative kind of way. I'm I was thinking about that, Locke, and if it, the, the reason why we felt uncomfortable, and Luke, you've pointed this out, is that it, it smells like there's a straw man about somewhere, that the lesson mm -hmm. is is raising up, you know, false doctrines that no one really believes in to, to knock them down. Well, you know, on reflection, I was thinking, well, actually, at the time where these doctrines, at the time where the identity of the Adventist church was being um, formed, uh, the men were not straw men. Right. There was there right. was a sort of popular interest in spiritualism. Mm. There was so so I'm was, was I'm it... a bit more yes sorry go a on. bit more reconciled to yeah I'm a bit more reconciled to to this being a sort of a point of focus because of the cultural context in which in which the, the church formed. I also like the mm. idea Luke of it being largely a, a negative doctrine in the sense of outlining the things we shouldn't believe. I remember once in a, in a lesson um, at E14. Uh, at Avondale College, uh, someone, I think it was Norm Young, I hope I'm not uh, misremembering, uh, we were discussing the Trinity. And uh, famously, of course, the Trinity is a very hard doctrine to understand, especially if understood correctly. And um, and he said, no, we, we've got the wrong idea. That there is an essential m mystery in this. The doctrine of the Trinity was not formed because pe people had a clear idea of the nature of God. It was formed hmm. because they had a three. pretty clear, clear idea. <laughs> three of, clear ideas. It, three clear ideas. Um, it was formed because th there were a few ideas floating around, like Arianism and other ideas, which they were pretty sure was wrong. Okay. And so, so the the 
Doctrine of the Trinity doesn't give you a central focal point of doctrine that you all adhere to. It gives you a fence that you can't move beyond. Mm. Um, mm. So you can't move in the direction of saying God, Jesus was purely divine and his feet never touched the ground and he didn't really die on the cross. And you can't go to the end of saying he was purely human. Well, those things don't seem to be truthful. And the the truth is some mystery in, in between that. And um, I think that's a valid use for a doctrine. Um, the, you know, some doctrines give us a point to look to and some of them give us an indication of the things we shouldn't be looking to. If, um, and maybe, um, maybe the state of the dead is, is one of the second ones. What you're talking about there, Cam, I think it's a really good point that this was an important topic um you know when when the doctrine was formed i just find it really sad that that the same old battle is being fought except now it's principally against nobody um and they haven't moved on i i observe what it just i I've, i've i've made a general observation that there's a very common mistake made by by people and i'm gonna i'm gonna use the term conservative but i'm I'm saying conservative with a specific definition so a conservative is somebody who wants to conserve something because they believe it is of value that is not a pejorative um i don't mean it that way i am a conservative in many ways because there are many things that i wish to preserve and and protect Hmm. um so I'm not using it in a political sense. That's what I'm trying to get at. I'm talking about the strict definition of the meaning. Somebody who wants to conserve something. But if you want to conserve something, um, there is a very common mistake that you can make that I think everybody would be susceptible in where you try and preserve something that was at its inception new and original. Mm. Right? Um because what you do is then you try and preserve the thing as it was then. But what it was then was new and original. And you can't preserve yeah, yeah. something new and original yeah. over time. It can only like- become older as time passes, right? So if you really want to preserve the newness and the originality of something, you have to actually come up mm. with something new. You have to change and original. <clears throat> There's the analogy would be a sermon I heard by Ray Brown felt in which he pointed out that as young children, Friday night, sorry, when his children were young, Friday night, the whole house played heart and seek. And it was a ironclad tradition. He said it would be a little bit ridiculous if when his adult children came home, he said to them, all right, you know the tradition. It's Friday night. We're going to go play hide and seek. But <clears throat> I'd just like to also clarify um, that what we're talking about is not the doctrine of the dead. I'm not I don't think you are either, Luke, suggesting that we need to throw out the doctrine of the, uh, the, doctrine of the state of the dead. Um, what I hear you saying is that we may need to adjust the emphasis that that doctrine is given. Um, the emphasis was held by the people, the newly formed Adventist church, because there was a genuine viewpoint that they wanted to oppose. Um, and I would contend that this this um, is a culture hmm. uh, that the the doctrine may be true or not. Let's hope it's true. Let's say that it is true. But the emphasis is a feature of that community, which not all communities have shared. I don't. There's not much in the New Testament church 
recorded in the Book of Acts of people getting together and discussing this. Maybe they did, but it wasn't written down. Uh, different people, you know, the church um, at various times in various ways has been faced with different challenges, and the challenges were real. Uh, but but to cling to that emphasis, to cling to that emphasis when the, when the need's not there, it feels a little bit like uh, someone mimicking a culture. So uh, I'll... Uh, couple of examples one of them you'll be very familiar with Lachlan um, uh, someone pretending to be German by dressing up in lederhosen and carrying huge <laughs> pints of beer and the Germans hate it um, uh, because it's not German anyway it's Bavarian and it's you know it, it doesn't quite hit the mark and then it's, there's the course the person who claims to be Aussie or or, or or puts on an Australian accent and Australian attitudes. And anyone on TV, if it's an American comedian or something, um, anyone who is Australian can look at it and say, oh, it's kind of right, but it's not It's not, it's not it's all not right. It's not good, yeah. uh, but we can tell what they're trying what to I've, do. Yeah, I, I, I felt a little bit like we're pretending, not to be Australian or German, but as a denomination, we're pretending that we're still facing the battles that people face that were real, authentic battles. 150 years ago. Yeah, you, you've said it. You've said it very well, Cam. And thank you for um, yeah, correctly understanding my point. I was not suggesting that the doctrine has become incorrect over time. I was talking more about the Advent movement was mm. successful and valuable at its inception because it was new. It can the the exact mm. same a photocopy. A carbon copy, an exact yeah. copy of the beliefs and attitudes and understandings of the Advent movement people at their inception cannot be new now, and it's yeah. silly and to pretend that's encoded that it is. in the that's encoded in our idea of present truth. That it, well, exactly. That that's the whole in... point: is that the Advent movement yeah. had at its very beginning the idea that it should continue to mm. grow and evolve. Mm, mm. And I, I would say fundamentally, anybody who is against change within the Adventist church is simply not Adventist. Well, this is exactly right. What's the more Adventist position to take? A belief structure that mimics the conclusions the pioneers came to 120 years ago, or a belief structure that attempts to copy the pursuit of truth on which the pioneers were engaged 120 years ago. Mm. If it's the latter, it's not at all obvious that had they lived for 200 years, they would today be believing exactly what they wrote 120, mm. 150 years ago, right? I mean, because they, they were people who changed their minds and grew on many, many issues. Well, so, famously, I, you know, well, famously, we don't, we don't call 1844 the Great uh, Confirmation, do we? Uh, so um, <laughs> yeah. we call it the great so, disappointment yeah. you, and, and it's part of our narrative that they changed their minds and grew you said yes. something really interesting you said you can't remember the last time you heard a sermon about um, stealing now I can't remember the last time I heard one about stealing either and I can't remember the last time we had an entire Sabbath school quarter on stealing either stealing is I mean it, maybe not the best example of a doctrinal emphasis so I might pick another one, if I may, because yes, this is something which I think is a is is really important. It's really relevant to modern times. It's really relevant to Australia, and it's really sad that the Adventist Church has had this stance the entire time and not done anything with. 
When was the last time you heard a sermon or saw a Sabbath school lesson on the topic of gambling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good, Luke. And particularly in Tassie, Tassie has has a, a massive addiction to poking machines. Every state in Australia does. And, and the poker lobby is hugely influential. I don't know if either of you saw the, I think it was an ABC investigative report on the gambling industry's lobbying power over Canberra. Um, but they, mm. they have quashed every attempt to regulate gambling while poker machines destroy the lives of, of yeah. the most poor people in Australia. Because pokies are poor person gambling. They're not rich person gambling. <laughs> Um, and they're yeah. everywhere, and they ruin people's lives, and they steal people's money. Um, you know, steal in the sense that that if the person was in control of their actions, they wouldn't. <laughs> and the Adventist Church has always been against gambling. That has always been one of our positions on social issues. And yet the Adventist Church does no advocacy. It does no talking of any kind about gambling at yeah. all, mm. anywhere. Not in the, not in Australia and not in the US and not anywhere around the world. It's a funny one. It is a particularly Australian problem, and our Australian listeners may not have actually realised how much we are um, perhaps not an outlier, but certainly at one end of the of the continuum globally on this. I had a work colleague. I was travelling for a conference and staying in a hotel with a colleague, and he showed me a YouTube video because he wanted to share with me an interesting journalist on YouTube. And it was exactly about this. It was an American talking about the rise in the last 15 years in sports gambling. And um, at the end of the video, flipped it and kind of said, if you want to know what the trajectory, what the end of this trajectory looks like, you don't have to go into your imagination. You just have to go to Australia. And I sat up and thought, wow, that's really startling. I didn't realize we were so unusual globally on this. We're really unusual for us to have massive casinos in the very middle of our cities. Even, even Las Vegas doesn't have the casinos in the middle of the city, according to this journalist. But the, the point that he made as an American, he said, Gambling in Australia is like guns in America. Hmm. It ruins people's lives and the people who live in the country just can't be bothered engaging with it even as a problem. And I thought, wow, that's pretty. So for any Australians listening, if you've never thought about gambling, Lucas just touched on a really interesting point that might be worthy of of at least as much passion as you may have about mass shootings in the US. And for any Americans listening, for goodness sake, heed this warning and don't let America go down the same path of gambling. really, truly (laughs) atrocious sports betting ads on daytime TV, um, come to Australia. (laughs) Yeah, indeed, yeah. indeed. No, it's a it's a very perceptive and 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 as you're right, as you point out, Luke, an extremely valid comment. Well, it, to it make. doesn't yeah. come out of nowhere because I had a really interesting discussion with my mother and my brother um, about what social issue could the Adventist Church effectively uh, advocate on, hmm. and there's not a lot, to be honest. Uh, and it, it, I, I mean. Not, I mean, there are lots that the Adventist Church could effectively advocate on. But I, I mean, if if the Adventist Church wanted to, but I mean, what social justice issue could we even get the Adventist Church to want to advocate on? What could, mm. what would be uncontroversial among the membership? You know, that mm-hmm, narrows mm-hmm. down your options very considerably. Um, but but and gambling was the best one we came up with, and it's, I don't think you could. 
you ask a random person who's not Adventist, who but who does know something of Adventism or has heard of the mm. Adventist Church in a, in Australia, you ask them what they know of Adventism, and they'll probably say something along the lines of, they go to church on Saturday, um, or they had that one woman whose baby was eaten by a dingo, or they're mm-hmm. the Wheat Bix Company, or something like that. I don't think you'd ever hear anybody say, oh, they're, they're the anti-gambling people. They don't gamble. <laughs> mm. Mm. And they're against, and they they help support people who are addicted and, and they, to gambling. They, yeah, they've got really strong support programs for people recovering from gambling addiction, and they they advocate against gambling and they campaign against all the rest. Yeah. Of it. Nobody ever 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 say that. Um, but I, we we were taught, you know, it's sinful to enter raffles because it's gambling. <laughs> yeah. You know, and my mum to this day. When she she'll be asked, oh, you know, if you you give five dollars and and you'll 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 go in the raffle to win whatever, she'll say, I'm very happy to give five dollars, but I don't want to go in the raffle. Yep, I've heard that before. Yep, um, yeah. I've heard that from other people. So it's it's this thing where it's it's a very strong doctrine of ours, but hmm. it's not emphasized. Well, it's interesting, Luke. It's interesting. I've got a friend here at Launceston Church who uh, was very involved. Um, he was recognised by the UN. And given a, a medal of recognition from the UN for his work in the Pacific on smoking, and hmm. uh, not so much. It's Ken's dad. Um, not not so much, although certainly in Australia, but certainly in the Pacific and around the region, the Adventist Church had very very strong advocacy on the on the um, issue of smoking. And so we 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 have a, a sort of a, a precedent to work off. Um, you know, there have been moments. My question is, if someone came to you and at, at, a, at a traditional evangelical thing where Adventists went through and all the things that they're different to other Christians, which don't get me started on that because if someone is not familiar with the Christian message generally, outlining the points where you're different, the finer details where you're different to other people that they're also not familiar with doesn't seem to be successful. But supposing someone came up to you and um, they said, oh, look... Um, Oh, it's interesting what you said about the state of the dead, but I just don't actually care. Um, my day day to day is hard enough, and I've, I'm really passionate about gambling. I'm really I want to I want to do something about gambling in the community. I want to blah blah blah. Could you, in good conscience, look at that person and say you ought give considerable time and thought to the state of the dead? Now, this is this is not about question about whether the doctrine of the state of the dead is true, or whether or not it is appropriate for some people to adopt it as a focus. Hmm. Um, and while ever there are people and there are people in the world who are concerned by or involved with spiritualism or oppressed in various ways um, by a fear of what happens after you die, etc., etc., then by all means it is appropriate for someone hmm. in the world to think about it a lot. But is it, is it necessary for everyone? Okay, so I have, I have an interesting way to flip that question slightly, Cam. Um, we agree that there are some people for whom this is a valid emphasis. And, and I, you know, even in our modern world, as you say, there are, there are some parts of the world, there are even perhaps some parts of our own Australian culture and society where spiritualism and it ends up leading to a, to a mentally unhealthy space of fear, um, of, of, you know, distraction and concern uh, that's perhaps unwarranted. And in those places, the Adventist picture of, of death being being an unconscious sleep can actually defuse some of those things 
All right, so if it's valuable in some places, then the question is this. Is the Adventist church just the group of people in the world who validly find this to be an important emphasis? Or is it true that within the Adventist church itself, it's valid for there to be a range of emphases, and maybe an Adventist could say, "Look, I'm I'm an Adventist, and I'm happy with that, but I, it's not one of not one of the flags I'm going to spend effort flying." Yeah, I hope I hope there's room for people like that in the Adventist church. Look, let's turn to um, Acts 19. I'm going to read it. it's only a short passage. I'll read it. Um, there's something in here about authenticity, um, and Paul's been going around doing amazing miracles. And it says in verse 11 of chapter 19 of Acts, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons uh, that had touched him and were taken to the sick um, cured people of their illnesses and evil spirits left them. Verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them back and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <laughs> and you, these people were not incorrect in calling on the name of Christ to confront evil spirits. Would If you were to say, is the correct response to the presence of an evil spirit to call on the name of Christ? Well, yeah, yeah, probably. But there's just something about this that isn't fully authentic. And, mm. and um, I feel like that when I hear a sermon on the state of the dead, sometimes. All right. I, it, I don't have a problem with it. The, the message, the message is good. But are we just, you know, like these people were calling on the God of Paul, are we just calling on the gods of Ellen White because it was important to her and she did amazing things and the early church fathers did amazing things and so we're just going to sort of call on God in the same way they did and for the same causes and for the same reasons and try and produce the same results that they did. Um, like I say, I think that there is an authentic place for for talking about it and the truth is we haven't had a quarter on the state of the dead for a long time. So... It's not the case that Sabbath School has been mm. nothing but State of the Dead for years upon years upon years. And so there's a valid place for it. But might there not also be a, a valid case for saying, you know, maybe a different emphasis might help? My my thought was drawn to different orders of the church. So if you went to the medieval Roman Catholic Church um, and you were a monk, you might be a Franciscan monk or a Benedictine monk. Um, there were orders of this and orders of that order of the mustard seed order of saint whichever there were the jesuits there and of course half the time these orders were at war with each other um mm. and uh and uh i was astonished a few years ago to hear of in an adventist church a conspiracy theory circulating amongst its members that the their church pastor was an undercover jesuit priest um so we're not <laughs> We're not. I mean, of all the things an Adventist pastor could get done for in today's church, where we're pretty careful about the boundaries we draw on drums in church and origins and uh, homosexuality and all, you know all the places to you know to fall out of favour with your congregation because of suspicion that you're an undercover Jesuit. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> this particular pastor was doing a very demonstrably good job of reaching out to needy people in his community. And my, oh, right. my tongue-in-cheek when I heard about 
uh, this accusation was that if he is a Jesuit, let's hope that more of our pastors are Jesuits in the future. Um, uh, but that was that was a bit tongue-in-cheek. But okay, so it's not like the orders always got on. But there was at least some formal acknowledgement that not everyone in the Christian church needed the same focus. Mm. And some of the religious mm. orders were about mysticism and reclusiveness and, and communion and prayer. And some of them had health ministries and some of them helped needy people and um, some of them were missionary orders. Uh, there was this concept that that uh, at some stage you have to stop arguing about who's right and wrong because there's there's too much things there's too many things that are right for us all to focus on all of them uh, that's a good way of expressing it um, and I when I said this to Ken uh, he's not with us but he said or was it it was someone at my Sabbath school I think it was Ken um, he said ah he said that's what denominations are in the Protestant church the Protestant church doesn't have orders we have denominations and I, I thought what a delightfully way to open a contentious issue but um you know maybe there's some validity to that mm. you know thank thank god for the salvos thank god there are other christians who are not salvos uh yeah. <laughs> well i uh, i mean i think that's a really interesting thought cam and and we can probably leave it hang for a little while in in the minds of the audience the, the listeners because um there's a lot to dwell on i was thinking earlier in this conversation just on that word protestant isn't it funny that um you know this entire branch of the christian movement that's splintered into many 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 different groups with different emphases um is collectively identified by the verb to protest to stand against you know we were commenting that perhaps our state of the dead doctrine arose culturally because of the need to stand against some things that were, you know, spiritualism and some ideas that were becoming unhealthy and unhelpful. Um, you know, we shouldn't be surprised to find that the things which need protesting today might not be the same issues that were at the peak or the top of the Protestant yeah. priority list um, 150 years ago. Look, that's a great point on which to leave it. And a thank you to our listener for tuning in. Uh, join us again next week. There will be episodes coming out over the Christmas break. We know that people are, are busy and our, our general um, experience is that the number of downloads decreases over the Christmas period and then picks up afterwards as people catch up on previous episodes. So if your travels uh, take you away uh, from your normal routine and you can't tune into this podcast, we hope you have a very, very relaxing uh, Christmas and holiday period and uh, and encourage you to, to pick back up on our discussions next year. Uh, we enjoy having these recordings and would record them even if no one listened. But knowing that people listen and, and getting occasional feedback uh, to our email address, sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com, uh, is wonderful. And uh, we do hope that uh, our conversation would prompt thoughts and questions and maybe even occasionally answers in your own mind and uh, help you in your Christian walk as it does help us in ours. Uh, so please join us again next week.